0: Hey everybody, it's Jason. Welcome or welcome back to the Mosaic Church Podcast. At the end of this podcast, please take a moment to connect with us on social media. It's a great place to learn more and to see what's happening at Mosaic. Most importantly, hope the following message encourages and inspires you to take a new step on your faith journey. Enjoy. So we are always inspired by great leaders. If you think about what's going on right now, we're seeing a whole lot of leaders that are good, and a whole lot of leaders that are terrible. Think back in time in the 1500s, if you were familiar with church history, Martin Luther, he transformed religious culture by doing something called the Reformation, the Protestant Reformation. And so he took a stand against the corruption inside of the church. When everybody wanted him dead, he stood up and said, this is not right. And he transformed A lot. We're here today because of that movement. You look at Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. in the 60s, he led a civil rights movement. In the world of pain, in a world of struggle, a world of anger, a man stood up among all races and all colors and said, We need to be peaceful. And he transformed the civil rights movement. And then we look at Nelson Mandela. For those of us who were alive in the 90s, that was a big name as he. Took a nonviolent campaign in South Africa against apartheid. He ended it and he became the first black president of South Africa. Something that kind of ties them all together, something that we see that's this unique aspect of good leaders, is they stand against norms. They, they aren't safe. They go into a place that could cost them their lives. Great leaders are focused and driven by a cause so much so that they say, no matter what it takes, I'm all in for the cause. A great leader. But if you also have been around good leaders, you've also been around terrible leaders. Terrible leaders stick out. Perhaps you've worked with some or are working some with some right now. So if you'd raise your hand and we'll pan the audience for your bosses. I'm just kidding. don't do that. Uh, so there's terrible leaders, right? We just know we, we, we've been around them where it's like it sucks the life out of us to be around these people. Terrible leaders have some very clear characteristics they don't listen to others. They don't listen and they don't accept feedback. Terrible leaders isolate themselves. They tell you what it is and they isolate and so they're unable to have communication because perhaps they've got a blind spot they're not willing to talk about. Terrible leaders are egotistical. Everything is about them all the time. It is their world, my world, my kingdom. And because of that, they blame others. So if you've been around a terrible leader who you go and say, hey, I've got a couple of suggestions. And all of a sudden the conversation turns into how terrible your job is and you're not doing enough. Even though they're giving you no positive feedback, you know what I mean by those terrible leaders. They lead by fear and indecision. Everything is fear-driven of them losing their kingdom. They're afraid of what would happen if they get found out that they're fake. They're, they're afraid of what found out if they're bad leaders. They lead with fear. They also isolate in a way that is unique to leadership. A great leader calls on a team. A great leader spreads out leadership because there's different ideas and thoughts and processes that when you bring them all together can create something that one man or one woman couldn't do on their own. So great leaders delegate. Great leaders don't isolate. They delegate. But those who are bad leaders isolate. My way the highway. In scriptures, we see examples of leaders, both good and bad, all the time. And I'm really excited about this new series we're kicking into, Summer Stories. Summer Stories is we're going to be exploring some leaders of scriptures. There are fantastic leaders and there are terrible leaders. If you're new to Bible reading or haven't really gotten into it, this is going to be an amazing time for you. Because if this is new to you, you're going to hear some stories and names maybe you've kind of maybe heard in the past, but we're going to take it to a new level. And if you're the kid who grew up in church and had flannel grams, so let me explain flannel grams to you. Flannelgrams was this thing of the 80s that it was like this felt board, and then you'd go to Sunday school class. And then Sunday school class, and some people still use them. Um, I, I'm sure. I, I'm not exactly sure, but I'm pretty sure. And they, they would have these little flannel, like Joseph and a flannel Jesus and a flannel Mary, and they would tell the story, and they put these flannel pieces on here. It was like those little stickums on there, but they could reuse them. And flannel grams, they would tell these stories. And I remember growing up hearing the stories of Moses and hearing the stories of Jesus, and all these stories that we, we maybe have heard in the past, and they use flannel So we're doing a flannel summer, right? But if you've been in Sunday school as a kid and heard the stories, hopefully you're going to hear something you never heard before. This is a new story to you. It's going to be an amazing time to hear what God was doing through both good leaders and terrible leaders. It's one of the things I love about the Bible. The Bible doesn't pretend everything is okay all the time. In fact, if you really read the Bible, you find out how terrible people are. And you find out that our mistakes are always forgiven by God. And you find out even the terrible leaders, though there's repercussions, God still uses terrible leaders for his glory and his kingdom. And the story of the scriptures doesn't make us feel like God doesn't love us. It shows how much grace and mercy he has on us. And that's what the Summer Stories is going to be about. So today. We to talk about two of my most favorite people in scriptures, Caleb and Joshua. Caleb and Joshua is a, a fantastic story of men who are willing to go against the flow. But in true storytelling style, I, before I even start to tell you what happened to them, you have to know everything that's been going on. So we're going to go all the way and start in the book of Exodus. If you're looking for some scripture reading this week or like to dig in, Exodus is a great book to read this week. So for a time, Israel, the nation of Israel, God's chosen people, is, are living in Egypt. And they were safe and protected. They are brought there. They came because Joseph, a person before them, actually saved Israel by having stored food. And so these people all moved here, and they started to multiply. And as they're multiplying, all these Israelites are starting to become overnumbering the Egyptians. So as they're overnumbering them, uh, Joseph dies, and a new king comes in power. And the new king says this, Uh, these people are coming too powerful. Let's enslave them so they don't uh, jump us and then take over Egypt. So instead of like loving and caring for people, this new king says, this is what we're gonna do. We're going to enslave them. So for 400 years, the Israelites are now slaves. Think about that, 400 years, a nation of people is enslaved in Egypt. So people start crying out to God. These people are saying, God save us, God save us. But in this process, they're losing their God. They're losing their identity. They're losing their separateness. Because what made them so unique is God says, I'm going to have a group of people that are going to be separate from the rest of the people. But now they're becoming together with Egypt. And as this is starting to grow together and people are starting to lose their way, some people remember this Yahweh. They remember God. So they start crying out to him to free them. So God says, okay, I hear your cries. I'm going to give you a leader. That leader is going to be a man named Moses. Moses. Now, I could tell a whole story about a man named Moses, but let 's just say this: he 's not probably a CEO quality material he 's not the guy that top quality companies are going to hire. he 's a regular dude who messed up in his life, messed up in his past, but he was chosen by God. he wasn't eloquent at speaking, he wasn't some like super mega power. he was a nobody at the time that God said, "I want you to be a somebody." So he picks Moses so Moses gives uh, God gives Moses the power to be able to go into Egypt and say to Pharaoh, I want you to let my people go. So he goes in. Now, this is going to throw back. I just, I just love 80s references. You don't like 80s references. I'm sorry. I do it all the time. But just think Ten Commandments with Charlton Heston, man. Like, you know, let my people go. You know, like that. Have you ever saw that movie back in the day? like. So, so he comes into Pharaoh and says, hey, you're going to let my people go. And Pharaoh says, not a chance. And so then God now sends plagues on Egypt that they would see that he is the real God over all the other gods that Egyptians had. Now remember, these cultures are combining, and this separation, they still worship God, but it was getting confusing. He says, I am the real God. So as these plagues are coming and all this bad stuff, he sends 10 plagues. Every time, Pharaoh says, nope, nope, no one to the last one, which was the 10th plague. The 10th plague is where God sends an angel of death, and this angel of death comes in and is going to kill all the firstborn children of Egypt. Now, this is horrific. This is horrific. It understands something here. Even though he's doing this, he's like, God, how could you do that? Sin is very serious to God. And we in our culture in the year 2020 don't take sin as serious as God does in 2020. His seriousness of sin is very deep. And the sin that was happening at that time Death, physical death, is not the worst thing that can happen to us. Eternal death is the worst thing that happens to us. But the beauty is, is that Jesus Christ covers that when we call on him so we don't die eternally. That's why we, I mean, we, that's why we worship Jesus. But back to the story. So God says to this angel, he tells him, I want you to kill a lamb. I want you to take the blood of an innocent lamb. I want you to coat your doorframe. All Israelites, if you have blood on your doorframe, the angel of death will pass over your door." your firstborn will not die. But be ready because Pharaoh is going to let all your people go. So this was the the one that got him to do it. I mean, what more could he do? His lineage, the next in line for his kingdom was killed. All this was happening. All of Egypt is crying out and the angel passes over the Israelites. And funny enough, and not funny enough, I mean true enough, excuse me, to this story is Passover. Now, Passover is a feast in which the Jewish people remember when the angel of death passed over their doors. And when Jesus came, Jesus, his, the Last Supper, what we celebrate as communion, which we're going to be doing today, they were celebrating the Passover feast. But Jesus at that time is saying, the angel of death passed over you by the blood of the lamb, but now the symbolism moves to forward to Jesus that says, I'm going to be the lamb that's slain, and my blood is going to have the angel of death pass over you so that you are not going to die eternally. So Jesus now takes what happened back in Egypt, and he fulfills it for us now in the New Testament. That's why we celebrate communion, because we're remembering the fact that Jesus took death for us as the Jewish people celebrated Passover, where God did not have their firstborn killed. So those two are melded together. Jesus was eating and celebrating Passover at his Last Supper. So Pharaoh lets his people go. So all of these people start going out and say, take anything you want, plunder us, just please get out of here, your God is, your God is too much for us. So they start going, and as they start going, Pharaoh's hearts changes. As his heart changes, they get backed up to the Red Sea, and there's this large sea, and they are cornered, and all of Pharaoh and all his army is coming against this huge nation of people, and all the people hate Moses. Why did you take us out of here? let's go back to Egypt. At least we had a job. Even though we're enslaved, we had food. We're just going to die out here in the desert. You're a terrible, terrible leader. Man, it's hard to lead people. So he says, you're a terrible leader. Let's kill Moses. Like kill this guy. and Let's go back to Egypt. But God does yet another miracle. He says, Moses, raise your staff over the water and this water is going to rise up and you're going to have dry land to walk across. So now Moses, just a regular guy, says, okay, he does this. The water splits, and there's dry land. And as they're walking across the dry land, I wonder what they thought. Like, like, are there fish, like a tank? Like, you ever go to those really cool aquariums, you know? Like, you walk through, and the water's, like, over the top of you, you know? Like, Like, there's a shark. Oh, my goodness, there's a whale. And, like, you're walking through this. Or are you thinking, at any second, I may be drowned? Are you thinking, I fully trust God at this moment. He's got us out of Egypt. He can do it. I think the fact that they're willing to kill Moses probably is going to go to the fact that they're probably not really trusting this water wall. But God is still faithful. And so they walk across dry land. But here comes Pharaoh's army. So Pharaoh's army starts running through, coming through. They get across the dry land. God drops the walls. Boom. And everybody is drowned. Miracle. Wow. Okay. This is excellent boy, this God's powerful. Like, God had all these plagues. I mean, he did all these locusts and frogs and death and water and all this stuff. I mean, this God is like amazing God. So they say, okay, I'm going to lead you to your new land. So now God takes his people and says, I'm going to give you your own land. The one promised to you, promised to Father Abraham, you're going to have your own place. This is just for you. Your nation will have its own place. God, trust me. So now, God leads, in miraculous ways, once again, this large group of people. And in the middle of this, God says, I'm going to give you a new way to live as a separate people and gives them the Ten Commandments. Now, as they get the Ten Commandments, which is like this is a new way of living and these rules are a way to live as a separate people, the people go back to their old way of living and start building up these gold gods. And so they had just gone through all this and the people go back to worshiping old Egyptian gods. Blows my mind but they did it. So then Moses comes down. He's angry about it. He slams (laughs) the 10 commandments and God's got to make him again. Story for another day. But they have seen miracle upon miracle, God's grace upon grace. God's loved them over and over and over again. And here he still leads them to the promised land. They get up to the edge of the promised land. And that is the story of Joshua and Caleb where it begins. We'll be in Numbers 13. So if you have your Bibles with you, Bible apps. Feel free to open Numbers 13. There's a lot of scripture happening today and in this series. So if you are interested in uh, downloading the app, you can do it for free online, uh, the Bible app or bringing your scriptures. We'll be going through a lot, but it'll also be on the screen. Numbers 13, the Lord says to Moses, send some men to explore the land of Canaan, which I'm giving to the Israelites. From each ancestral tribe, send one of its leaders. So at the Lord's command, Moses sent them out from the desert of Paran. All of them were leaders of the Israelites. That's Numbers 1 through three. So all of these leaders, one of each of the tribes, he says, take each one of these. I want you to go out and I want you for uh, 40 days, I want you to go take a look at this land. Go out there, explore it. Tell me what's happening out there. So he says, so then Moses, going into uh, verse 17 to 20, when Moses sent them to explore Canaan, he said, go up to the Negev, into the hill country, See what the land is like and whether the people who live there are strong or weak, few or many. What kind of land do they live in? Is it good or bad? What kind of towns do they live in? Are they, well, are they unwalled or fortified? How is the soil? Is it fertile or poor? Are there trees in it or not? Do your best to bring back some fruit of the land. It was a season for the ripe, first ripe grapes. So Moses takes them and gives them this command. Okay, you guys go out and I want you to tell me all about this. Very specific things. So first of all, he asks the question, are they weak or strong? So he's asking about the strength of their army. The strength of their army. Tell me, are these, are these men and women like going to just destroy us, or are they weak or strong? He wants some information, some recon, if you will. Secondly, he says, are there few people or many? Great question to find out if they go to war. What's it going to look like? Also, the population. What's the population of the land we're going into? Is the land healthy and abundant? Or would it sustain them asking about food and water what is the land like can we be sustained there asks are the towns open or walls around them now you're looking at war and defense if we attack are they just sitting ducks or do they have major fortified walls also if we take this land we take these cities and these towns what's it going to be like for us like are we going to be able to take this but also if we live there is it already fortified is there vegetation or is it dry desert so farming Sustenance. Like, can we farm this land? How would we live on this land? He started to process this information for the people. Are there trees? Interesting question, but trees you think of as building. You can build with trees. You've got fruit from trees. You've got a lot of information about trees. Also, it's showing the fertility of the soil. Is it moist, good soil that trees can live in? Or again, is it that desert land? Find and bring back some fruit that's in season. I want a sample of what's in there. Show us is it big, healthy fruit? Or is it kind of driveled up? Is it dry? Is it not that great? So they explained they went for the land for 40 days and they came back. It says this in Numbers 13 26. They came back to Moses and Aaron and the whole Israelite community at Kadesh in the desert of Paran. There they reported to them and to the whole assembly and showed them the fruit of the land. They gave Moses this account We went into the land to which you sent us, and it does flow with milk and honey. Here's its fruit. But the people who live there are powerful, and the cities are fortified and very large. We even saw descendants of Anak there. The Amalekites live in the Negev. The Hittites, the Jebusites, and the Amorites live in the hill country, and the Canaanites live in the sea and along the Jordan. So they return back, and they have some answers for Moses. They say, "Are the people weak or strong? They're giants. They're huge, and they're very, very strong." Those descendants are believed to be somewhere between eight and nine feet tall. They're huge, huge people. And so this is when we get into the story of David and Goliath. Ever heard of that term before? Goliath is one of those huge, huge people. And they're like, they're all monsters. They're huge. Are there few people or many? There's a whole lot of people, and there's a whole lot of cities in there. Like, it isn't just like one little group sitting on the land This is like a whole group of people in this land right here. And then he says, is the land healthy and abundant, or would it not sustain them? It's not only healthy, it's really, really healthy. This land is so fertile. It's just flowing. Flowing is such a strong word. There's an abundance of sustenance for us in this land. Are there towns open or walls around them? Not only are these people monsters, and they're huge, they're all mega fortified. Like, it's not a small wall. These are, we can't beat them type walls. They are huge. Is there vegetation or is there dry desert? It's very fertile. Very, very, very fertile. Take a look at this fruit that we brought back. And there's samples there. Are there trees? They don't answer that. I don't know why. They didn't answer that. Maybe there's an assumption there of the fertility of everything. They did not directly answer that question. If if Moses was type A like me, I'm like, oh, you forgot that. Go back and find out. But it's good. Bring back some fruit. They brought back big, healthy, monstrous fruit. So, man, this place is great. And everybody starts freaking out. Everybody starts freaking out. There's no way we're gonna beat these giants. There's no way we're gonna beat these monsters. There's no way we're gonna beat these cities. There's no way the the walls are too big, the people are too big. I know what we're gonna do. Let's kill them. Let's kill Moses again. Everything's about killing these guys. Like if you're you want to talk about leadership 101. Be ready for everyone to kill you, quote Moses. Like, so here, Caleb speaks up. And Caleb is the one who speaks up first. And we see these words of Caleb. Caleb and Joshua were two of the people sent in as spies. Caleb and Joshua come back out. And they give this account. And everyone's freaking. But it says this in Numbers 13, 30 to 32. Then Caleb silenced the people before Moses and said, We should go up and take possession of the land for we can certainly do it. But the men who had gone up with them said, we can't attack those people. They're stronger than we are. And they spread among the Israelites a bad report about the land they had explored. They said, the land we explored devours those living in it. Think about this for a second. The leaders of the community started spreading rumors. The leaders of these tribes are the ones who've turned their back on their leaders and start sharing all this misinformation about it. And then at that night, they start to plan to kill him. So we're going to kill Moses, we're going to kill Caleb, and we're going to kill Joshua, because these guys want us to go in there. If we kill them, then we're going to be good. And if we kill them, then we can go back to Egypt. Now, I don't know how good or bad it was in Egypt, but the people of the land were crying out for 400 years. I'm going to assume it was not a pleasant experience, But whatever they're experiencing at that moment, saying whatever is in front of us is worse than what is behind us. At least we know what's behind us. At least we know over here we're going to be fed. Over here we're going to be slaughtered by these big giant monster guys who have big fortified cities and they're going to dump like big boiling oil on our heads and we're all going to die and it's all your fault, Moses. Let's kill them. Leadership is awesome. So he says this in Numbers 14. They have this plan to kill them at night and select a new leader. In Numbers 14, 5-9, to 9, it says this, Then Moses and Aaron fell face down in front of the whole Israelite assembly gathered there. Joshua, son of Nun, Caleb, son of Jephunneh, who were among those who explored the land, tore their clothes and said to the entire Israelite assembly, The land we passed through and explored is exceedingly good. Note this, If the Lord is pleased with us, he will lead us into that land, a land flowing with milk and honey and will give it to us. Only do not rebel against the Lord and do not be afraid of the people of the land because we will devour them. Their protection is gone, but the Lord is with us. Do not be afraid of them. I mean, wow, what a statement, right? Like he, he gets up on a soapbox. We can do this. God is with us yeah, we got this. Everybody cheer with me. And they all yell, stone him. Kill this guy. Who is this guy who thinks the Lord God is going to be able to take, even God can't go past those numbers. Even God can't beat down those walls. Even God can't kill all those monsters. But at the same time, they just saw an ocean split across, a sea split, and they walked across dry land. They just watched God have plagues come through. God has shown them how faithful and good he is to these people. At the same time, they want to kill their leaders. It's hard when you think about what they saw, how God provided, how God's gone against the odds, yet only three men are listed as saying we can do it, Moses, Joshua, and Caleb. Out of this entire nation, now there could have been others, we don't know the story, but we have three men listed. Now think about that. That's friends, that's family. Everyone is against them, saying you trust in this God, you're going to get us killed, kill them instead. Let's go back to Egypt. That is their close people that they work next to, maybe people in the tent over. They had gone through an experience together, but at the same time, these friends and family are willing to say, kill him. Kill him. Get him out of here. There's no way. They're leading us to destruction. There's no way that God's going to get us through this. Now, I, I can't imagine how difficult it is to lead a nation. I can't imagine how difficult it is to lead a nation who's all mobile and walking onto this land. I can't imagine keeping everybody together and trying to keep people focused and keep people focused on the Lord God. When you have all these numbers of people. I can't imagine how hard it was. And I can't imagine how hard it was for Joshua and Caleb to stand up against an entire nation and say, God can do it. God is with us. Do not be afraid. But Joshua Caleb, and Caleb did it. They believed in what God had done and they believed in what he can do. And what an unbelievable story in our day and age right now when we think, where is God now? Where is God in the midst of all this chaos? Where is God through all the pain and the struggle? Where is God? Can God do something? And one of the things I love about God is he always says, remember. God is remember God because we have short-term memory. Like, oh, thanks God for answering that prayer. Here's five more for tomorrow, right? Like we have a short-term memory and God says, remember remember. When we celebrate communion, we're remembering. And when God does miraculous things in your life, when God has had miracles in your life, when God has done things for you, and you know there are stories and times you're like, oh my goodness, only God could have done those things. And then you come up against this crazy land of walls that you don't think you can get through, the giants of your life. There's no way I can win. Do you remember what God has done? Joshua and Caleb did. And they're like, I'm not afraid of these guys. You've got God. Like, God isn't on their side. He's on our side. I'm not afraid. We could totally do this. But do we do that sometimes? Like, don't we come up against those walls and against those giants and say, God, thank you for the past. You're not going to get me through this today. God has been faithful to you. You're still breathing. You're still here. Yet we say, God, I'm so afraid. I don't know where you are. God is an unbelievable God, and he shows us some really cool things through the story of Caleb and Joshua and leadership. There's some true characteristics of godly leaders. More than any other time in our life, we don't need the 10 spies leaders. We need godly leaders. We need men and women to stand up in your communities, in your homes, in your workplace as godly leaders who trust and believe in their God so much that nothing shakes them. They, we need godly leaders who speak love and truth into the world. We need godly leaders that are transforming lives one by one by leading godly ways. We've got enough of the ten. Turn on Facebook. you got the ten spies all over Facebook every day. Every single day there's something in there about, oh, I can't believe this. People are yelling about this, blah, blah, blah. we got enough of those. What about the Caleb's and Joshua's in here? What about the Caleb's and Joshua's who say, despite everything that's going on, I believe. I know my God is so big because He's done so many big things in the past. I stand here now and say, my God can do it again. Here's some characteristics of godly leaders we see through Caleb and Joshua. Godly leaders stand strong in the face of adversity. When things come in your way, they stand strong. They don't waver. They don't back down. They stand strong in adversity. Godly leaders understand that they have influence on others. I love the statement that everybody is leading somebody somebody somewhere every day. Where are you taking them? Think about this again. Everybody is leading somebody somewhere every day. Where are you taking them? You think I'm just a teenager, I'm not leading anybody. You are. You're leading other siblings, you're leading friends. At times you're leading family members. If you say, I'm not a leader, that's not true. People still look to you for answers. We need godly leaders who stand up in both communities and homes that say, you know what, I'm going to use my influence for others, but not for the bad, but for the good. I'm going to use my influence to transform the world because bad leaders use influence to benefit themselves. Godly leaders use their influence to impact the kingdom of God. That's a godly leader. Godly leaders trust and focus on his promises and strength. What's your go-to? Do you trust God or do you freak out every time something happens? I am the freak-out kind. I am ashamed to say in my faith walk, I tend to go to freak-out. I go to details and answers. I go to, oh my gosh, God, okay, I know you can do stuff, but here's the 25 things you have to do. I don't even listen to God. I'm too busy listing all the 25,000 things he's got to do Right? for me to be able to accomplish something, as opposed to saying, you've been good in the past, you're good to me now, I trust you. And my faith walk of church planting has taught me this lesson. If you want to learn how to trust God, plant a church. During a pandemic. I learned hard lessons. And I'm still learning those lessons, but that's what God has been speaking into my life. Hey, freak out, Jason. You know all the great things I've done to you in the past and I've shown and walked with you with, spoken to you and all these great things. I'm speaking to you right now, trust me. Trust me, Jason, for the future of Mosaic. Trust me, Jason, with the future of your kids. Trust me, Jason, what building are we gonna land in? Where are we gonna go? What's gonna happen? Are we gonna be here in three years? Do you trust me? And this is the craziest story of my journey with God. Like I, again, I'm type A, so I'm always like, all right, I got my one, three, five, ten plan, one year, three year, five year, 10 year. Here are my goals, here's my, and that's good, that's fine. But then I tell God what my one, three, five, ten plan. I don't ask Him. I don't do that anymore. Now God doesn't show me a light down the doesn't show me a light down the road like a car. It's like a flashlight. He shows me only the next step to step on, and I have no idea where the next step is until He shows it to me. He says, "Now you can move." That is a story that I've been adventuring on, and I'm going to tell you it is scary, but it is awesome. Because now, instead of worrying about things and freaking out, I now say, okay, God, the first thing I do is I go to prayer. I'm like, okay, God, I don't know what the next step is. Before, I would say, okay, God, I'm praying. Here are the next steps. That always led to bad places. Now, when I trust on the step, it's good, whatever it is. I may not like the answer. I may not like the outcome, but it's good. Godly leaders are active. You can't sit and be a godly leader. Godly leaders are on the move. Godly leaders are getting things done. Godly leaders aren't just out there doing whatever for whatever's sake, but godly leaders are listening to God and then moving. It's one thing to hear a story and say, oh, it's a good story, and then do nothing with it. It's another story for us to say, godly leaders, God, when do I move? How do I move? What do I do when I move? So back to our story. As the story continues, God intervenes. And because of the Israelites' response, because of their unfaithfulness, he says, all right, you can't go in the land. You're not allowed to go in. So he turns them around and says, for 40 years, you're going to go and wander out here. And all of this generation of people are all going to die. You're never going to be able to set foot to the land I have for you because you didn't believe in me. 40 years of walking around in the desert. I don't think that's a very good outcome. I would be frustrated, but Caleb and Joshua got to. Caleb and Joshua, they said, because of their faithfulness, you get to go into the land. Just because they believe, they are able to take the next generation and take them into the promised land. But here's something that's very interesting, I always found just fascinating. Caleb and Joshua did all the right stuff, but they still went 40 years in the desert. That's not fair. I would complain. Okay God, I said we could take the land. Maybe you didn't hear my prayer. Let me try this again. We can take the land, God. I trust you, but yet he took them and sent them back into the desert for 40 years. See, we may not like the response that God gives us, but it's good. And I sat back and I was been studying and reading this for a while. What if Caleb and Joshua did go in? We don't know. We'd have to speculate. But what we do know as we read the story, there's a couple of things that stand out because these two men did not go in but actually walked with Israel. First of all, we could see some leadership principles just from that alone. Leadership requires time and experience. Joshua and Caleb watched and learned from Moses. Moses was discipling them. As you read on in the story, Joshua is the one that leads them in the promised land and they just wipe out everybody. They have some hiccups when they don't follow God's way. But Joshua keeps going back to that same principle. If God's not with us, I'm not going. He learned the lesson 40 years earlier. But because he's walking for 40 years, think of all the leadership that he learned. He goes from a young man to a strong warrior. He now has all of this wisdom that's been passed on to him from Moses. He now has all this time being with the people, seeing the next generation born, and that next generation now believes in him as the leader. He wasn't some no-name. He was one of them. So Joshua and Caleb learn in those 40 years. We also learn from this that leadership doesn't always give you the results you want. Sometimes being a leader is hard. Sometimes being a leader is going to go against the flow. Sometimes that leadership is going to lead you to a place you don't want to be in. Their correct statement now led them to 40 years of wanting with everybody else. But do you believe that even though you don't get what you want, it's still good? And that's a big question to wrestle with with your faith. Even if it's not what you want, is it good? If God is good and God leads you to something you don't want, is it good? That's a big question. Because 40 years doesn't seem good until they go and wipe through the land and now they're leading, they take the whole nation of Israel in, say, okay, now I see your plan. If we've ever been on the journey of Jesus for a while and you see like the aftermath, and you're like, oh, that's why you did that, God. Now you know what I'm saying. It's not that you like it, but it's good. Finally, leadership requires sacrifice for the good of others. Leaders have to sacrifice for others. There's no way to be a good, godly leader and be focused on yourself. If you want to lead, if you're going to make an impact for the kingdom of God in your community, and your homes, as you lead, you sacrifice. Why? Because that's what Jesus did. Jesus is the greatest leader we've ever seen ever in the history of ever. He came in and he showed us the model of what it looks like to sacrifice. He gave of himself. He served others. He helped the poor. He gave to the needy. And then he gave his life. That is what a leader does. Two men for 40 years gave up their lives 40 years of their lives so that Israel would inherit the land God had for them. They gave up themselves. Friends, godly leadership isn't fair, it's hard, it's a sacrifice. It means standing in the face of opposition. But godly leaders change the world. And if I can implore you of one thing and say, I'm begging, I'm begging us. Our world needs godly leaders. We always have, but more than ever today. We can change the world. You can change the world. I believe it with my whole heart. Two men change the course of history. Do you believe God could do that with you? No matter what your age, what stage of life you're in, what you've been through. Do you believe that God is good and that He can change the world? Our world needs more Joshua's and Caleb's that go against the flow. Once again, thank you so much for listening. If you live in Southeast Wisconsin, we'd love to connect with you at our weekend gathering.